0: Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting it through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash CanadaX. Amid the First World War and the arrival of the Spanish Flu, there was something else going on in Canada that most people don't know about. At the time, Russia was dealing with the Bolshevik Revolution, which was threatening its ability to continue in the fight against Germany in the First World War. The Allied powers had a stake in this, and in an effort to keep Russia in the war, they would conduct the Siberian Intervention, also known as the Allied Intervention in the Russian Civil War. This intervention would last from August 1918 to July 1920, and consists of 600 troops from the Russian Federative Socialist Republic and the Mongolian People's Army, against 140,000 troops from the Russian state, Japan, the United States, Italy, Canada, China, France, and Poland, among many other countries. This episode, though, is not going into detail about the intervention itself, which saw 7,791 casualties on the Soviet side and over 5,000 dead on the Allied side. This episode is about Canada's role, and specifically, the Canadian-Siberian Expeditionary Force. Now, before I continue, I want to apologize if I get any Russian names or pronunciations wrong. The Allies were not fans of the Soviets at the time. There was a strong worry, with the war so close to ending, that the military supplies would be used by the Germans and that the access to the natural resources of the Russian Far East would tip the scales in the Western Front in favor of the Germans. In early 1918, the Bolsheviks under Vladimir Lenin had switched sides and began to support the Germans. As a result, the Allied leaders just plain didn't like the Bolsheviks, and wanted them removed from power because of what they saw as a betrayal. Enter in Canada. At the time, Canada was a Dominion, so it was not a full member of the Allies, but a part of the British Army, but it was more than just a colony. Prime Minister Robert Borden argued that Canada's involvement had more to do with the adding to the British government's sense of obligation to, as he said, Their junior partner, than anything to do with Siberia itself. Within Canada, the expeditionary force was presented to a war weary public as a trade and economic opportunity. The force was authorized by the Privy Council in August 1918, but the deployment of the troops was heavily delayed due to the fact that a volunteer force could not be raised. Even with the force being painted as a trade opportunity, there is significant opposition to it from the public especially farmers in the Prairie Provinces, who had the promise over conscription broken by Borden, Canadian troops would go to two main fronts during this brief intervention. The 67th and 68th batteries of the 16th Brigade would take part in the North Russia intervention. This contingent of the troops would see some action, but I'm not focusing on them. I'm focusing on the Siberian Expeditionary Force and that force was made up of two infantry battalions, as well as machine gun, artillery, and engineering companies, and on top of that, 200 Mounties from the Royal Northwest Mounted Police were deployed, along with 300 horses. A major problem with this force, as we will see soon with an incident in Victoria, was that two-thirds of the force was made up of conscripts, and conscription was a dicey issue in Canada at the time, with the Military Service Act being passed in 1917. With the war ending, and 6,000 troops dying between September and October 1918, there were not many voluntary enlistments in the new Expeditionary Force, and 1,653 of the troops for the force would have to come from conscription. The 1st Battalion was the 259th Battalion, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Albert Swift, a career soldier, Within that battalion, there were four companies. A Company was made up of troops from Toronto, B Company was from Kingston and London, C Company was from Montreal, and D Company was from Quebec City. The second battalion was the 260th Battalion, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel F.C. Jameson. This battalion consisted of four companies A Company from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, B Company from Manitoba, C Company from Saskatchewan and Alberta, and D Company from British Columbia. The troop trains taking the soldiers across Canada to Victoria for departure also got off to a very bad start thanks to the Spanish flu. As the Siberian Expeditionary Force travelled across Canada, some of the troops were infected with the flu, and as they got sick, the soldiers were dropped off at local hospitals. And looking at the medical records for Winnipeg, Calgary, and Vancouver, the first cases of flu arriving in those communities come only a few hours after the train passed through the cities the entire force was put under the command of General James H. Elmsley, who was a veteran of the Second Boer War and the First World War, and the first part of that force would arrive with him in Vladivostok in October of 1918. Things got off to a great start when General Elmsley took over the Pushkinsky Theatre to serve as his headquarters. This did not sit well with the leaders of the city, who demanded that the premises be vacated. The main body of the troops, which would number 4,192 in total, were set to depart on December 21st, 1918, from Victoria aboard two ships. Unfortunately, the mutiny of two companies of the French-Canadian troops in the 259th Battalion caused a delay in the troops getting to Siberia. Now, Prime Minister Robert Borden, who was on his way to Europe for peace talks, would receive a telegram from Sir Thomas White, the acting Prime Minister that showed that the Canadian public was not looking to fight any more wars at this moment. The telegram stated, All our colleagues are of opinion that public opinion here will not sustain us in continuing to send troops, many of whom are draftees under the Military Services Act and Order of Council, now that the war is ended. We are all of the opinion that no further troops should be sent and that the Canadian forces in Siberia should, as soon as the situation will permit, be returned to Canada. Consider the matter of serious importance. Borden decided to ignore the message. Now going back to the mutiny, it occurred as conscripts were marching from Willow's camp to the outer wharves of Victoria. The troops in the rear refused to halt midway through the march. Officers then fired their guns into the air to quell any sort of dissent. When this didn't work, the officers ordered the other troops most who came from Ontario, to take off their belts and whip the mutineers back into line. The men were then pushed by bayonet towards the outer wharf, where it took 23 hours to herd the troops onto the ship. The ship would leave the next day and a dozen men were in cells awaiting a court-martial trial. The trial would find that the men were guilty of mutiny and willful disobedience, but their sentences were commuted by General Elmsley in early April 1919, since there was a great deal of concern among officials in the army and the government about the legality of deploying men under the Military Services Act for a mission that was barely connected to the defense of the British Empire. Both ships would sail towards Russia, overloaded and dealing with terrible weather. During one storm, a large case of ice and meat broke loose and landed on three soldiers, killing Private Harold Butler and injuring two other soldiers. Also, one woman was a part of the expedition as well. Nursing matron Grace Potter went to Vladivostok in November 1918 with her husband, Colonel Jacob Porter. She would serve at the Canadian Red Cross mission in Siberia. With the troops finally in Siberia, there would be little in the way of fighting. With no authorization to proceed up country, the men kept themselves busy with guard duty, parades, hockey, soccer, and boxing matches, along with vaudeville shows, two newspapers, and Russian language lessons, and some journeys into the local countryside. Private Alexander Calhoun would serve in Siberia for six months as a paymaster, and he described the experience as such. There, we sat on our fannies. It was all a complete farce. He would later call the entire incident the folly of Winston Churchill, thinking the Russian Revolution could be stopped. The relaxed atmosphere for the soldiers is shown in the hospital cases for the soldiers. One quarter of all hospital cases for Canadian soldiers were related to dealing with venereal diseases. While the force of the Canadians in Siberia have fond memories of their activities in the area through sports and the friendships they made, as well as being in an exotic part of the world, They also saw horrors as the citizens dealt with the Russian Civil War that was upsetting their entire lives. Captain Eric Ellington provides an excellent look at this terrible chapter in the city's history for the Russian citizens. He says, The Trans-Siberian railway station Vladivostok was full of thousands of starving refugees. Literally starving. They had little area on the floor and they all fled from the Bolsheviks. Well, we did what we could. We took them supplies what we could. I can always remember having a loaf of bread, and a woman came rushing up, and I gave it to her, and she had the most starving looking baby you ever saw in your life. Of the small contingents of troops who actually advanced up country in Siberia, about a hundred in total, they mostly served as administrative support to the 1,500 British troops there. Others would take supplies to the Russian army, and in January 1919, Canadian command still believed that the rest of the expeditionary force would make its way up country, but this didn't happen. There would be a brief, close to combat, incident for the troops in Vladivostok. Many peasants in the area had resentment towards the Allied occupation of their city, and they would fuel a partisan insurgency nearby under the command of a farmer named Gabriela Shevchenko in the spring of 1919 that would threaten the Allied coal supply for the area. To curb this insurgency, an international force that included 200 Canadians travelled to the nearby town that had been taken over by the farmers to deal with the situation. When the Allied force marched towards the town, Shevchenko would issue a proclamation to them stating, We demand that you evacuate our territory and go back where you came from. Just as Allied troops left Odessa and Archangel, so also you will be forced to leave Vladivostok. Until that time we will never lay down our arms. Upon reaching the community, it was found that the partisans had fled into the hills. The men then marched back the same day and were rewarded by the Japanese commander with a lavish banquet that included three cases of sake, 18 bottles of whiskey, and 96 bottles of wine. By May, though, it was clear it was time to leave. The entire intervention in Siberia was brief. The old Russian government and its forces were badly led, and the Bolsheviks were able to slowly gain ground on them. At the same time, the Western governments were dealing with a war-weary public, and they would bring their troops home. In May and June 1919, the Canadian troops left Vladivostok on four ships. A memorial stone was put down by troops to commemorate those men who died there, including Private Edwin Stevenson, who died of smallpox a week before he was scheduled to return home. On the return home, five soldiers would die at sea, and upon reaching British Columbia, two more would die while in quarantine. In all, 13 men would be buried in Vladivostok Marine Cemetery. Of those 13 men, five died of pneumonia, one of exposure, one of smallpox, and the rest of various illnesses. Three men were buried at sea, while four more were buried in North America. On June 10, 1919, MP Henry Ballard would speak to the House of Commons, stating, This expedition was a political error a military mistake, and a wanton extravagance. Back in Russia, the rest of the Allies would pull out by April 1920, and the Japanese would leave in 1922. The force that went to Siberia has largely been forgotten in Canada, and the decay of the gravestones for those soldiers who died in Siberia is the perfect metaphor for this. After the fall of the Soviet Union, a Canadian naval party aboard the HMCS Protector traveled to Vladivostok, which had been closed to the outside world by the Soviets for decades. They found the cemetery that housed the graves of the soldiers, and in a letter to the Canadian Parliamentary Committee on Foreign Affairs, it was stated, There are Canadian graves left in Vladivostok that are in terrible shambles. Headstones have been stolen or knocked over. Graffiti has been painted on some of the headstones. It seems a shame that we forgot about those. Information comes from Wikipedia warmuseum.ca Siberian Expedition.ca CityMakers Calgaryans after the frontier. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, again you can support the podcast through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Canadax. You can email me any questions you have at Craig at and you can visit my website where I have hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as a link to my store. Just go to Canadax.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.